Take out your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 6. That's where we're going to go. We're in a series called Heart Attack. That is, it all comes from Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Jesus' really most radical message uh, that, he preached, that he preached. It was, it was designed to show the heart of God. This, this past Tuesday, in, uh, in this week's paper, former Michigan State Trooper Seth Swanson was sentenced to stealing $170,000 from the state of Michigan. Swanson, as a state trooper, had sworn to uphold and enforce the laws of the state of Michigan, but forged the Secretary of State's signature as he did salvage titles on, uh, or did clean titles on salvage vehicles. And over a three-year period, 171 times, he signed the Secretary of State's name and pocketed the money. $170,000 that should have gone to the state, went in his pocket. We hate hypocrisy, don't we? We hate it in government officials. We hate it in law enforcement. We hate it in church leaders. We hate it in Christians. We hate it in ourselves. I watched an interview this week of Timothy Keller, the the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, in which the interviewer asked this question, isn't the greatest argument against Christianity Christians? And Keller said, yeah, it is. The hypocrisy of people who profess to follow Jesus and don't follow through is the biggest indictment against the church. It's the biggest indictment against people who say that they're Christians. People who say that they love God with their whole heart, but then act in a way that, that, they, that totally denies that love. Um, as I prepped this message this week, I, um, it was incredibly discouraging because I was thinking, oh, I need, I need an illustration at the beginning that just describes hypocrisy um, so, so well. And the thing that was so discouraging was there were so many illustrations, so many um, stories of people who had betrayed the confidence of others, people who had denied their faith in Jesus. I watched a clip of Bill Maher from, from September of 2013 in which he said, um, my, my favorite new government program is surprising violent religious zealots in the middle of the night and shooting them. Uh, I can say that because I'm a non-Christian, just like most Christians. This is Mars' words again. Christians, I know, I'm sorry, I know you hate this and you want to square the circle, but you can't. I'm not even judging you. I'm just saying logically, if you ignore every single thing Jesus commanded you to do, you're not a Christian. You're just auditing. You're not Christ followers, you're just fans. And if you believe the earth was given to you to be in charge of, you're not really a Christian, you're a Texan. Uh, That's what Bill Maher said. Um, If you've ever watched Maher, Maher despises Christians. He despises the hypocrisy of Christians. That's hard to watch as a follower of Jesus. Hypocrisy is a difficult issue for us to deal with 
because we hate it so much. We hate it when our faith is discredited by the actions of another person. And we hate it because we know that we don't live consistently with what we believe and value. Jesus, in Matthew 6, in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, this is the passage that Buzz spoke from last week, but you'll, you'll see why I, want to, why I want to read it again. 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Down in verse 16, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus wants to communicate a point about hypocrisy, and he does it by taking three illustrations, three very common examples that all of his hearers would have understood. The first example is giving. Giving was a part of the Jewish culture at this point in time. It's, uh, it was something that was so common. It was something that God had taught. It was, it was uh, connected into every fab- fiber of the, the fabric of society. Jews gave regularly for all kinds of things. They gave for special offerings. They gave their tithes. They gave when there were needs. They gave to help take care of people who were disabled, people who begged. Because there wasn't any Medicare program, there wasn't any uh, disability program, the, the Jews just took it on themselves to help care for the needs of those people. But some people would draw attention to themselves when they gave. uh, We don't know whether Jesus was talking literally about trumpets that blew when people gave their offering or whether that, that he's just describing people who drew lots of attention to themselves when it came time for the offering. Now, we have plastic offering buckets, right? Um, uh, And if you put paper in, it doesn't make any sound. But if you had a metal bucket and you threw a handful of coins in them, you could lay them in and it'd be real quiet. Or you could throw them in and throw them so that they circled around the bucket and made an incredible amount of racket so that it would draw attention to the person who was giving the gift. Uh, anybody like those yellow cylindrical things that are out that are fundraiser things that you put the coin in and it spins around? Uh, 
I love them. I think that they're cool. I think they're fun to watch. But you know, if you put lots of coins in there at the same time, it will get really loud as they spin and spin and spin and spin. It'll draw lots of attention to the person who's the giver. That's what Jesus is describing. People who gave to draw attention to themselves. They could do it in a number of ways. They could do it with the way that they gave. They could do it by coming up to the place where they were giving the offering and talking really, really loudly so that everybody would turn and see who's at the bucket. Who's putting their money in? They would do it at strategic times when there would be a lot of people around the bucket and, and just happen to linger there as they gave and put their money in the offering. People who drew attention. It was a very common thing. Have you ever been to a, to a ball game or to a concert, maybe to a club, someplace like that, where a person shows off their generosity by pulling a big wad of bills out of, the, out of their, out of their uh, pocket, and just one after another are doing those to take care of the people who are around them, to draw attention to themselves so that they could be seen by men. That's the first illustration. The second illustration Jesus gives is when people pray. Prayer was a part of the Jewish culture in the, in the same way as giving. It was a normal part. It was normal for Jews to pray out in public. It was normal for Jews to stand when they pray. Uh, it was... It was uh, as God's chosen people, prayer was, was an important part of their culture. But some people, when they would pray, would do so in such a way to draw lots of attention to themselves. Again, it may have been about the timing, uh, what time it was that they prayed. It may have been about where they were, if they were standing in the center of town, so that, so that lots of people were there. They, it may have been about the location and the time together that there'd be a lot of activity. And they'd stand up to pray so that everyone would look at them. It may have been the volume of their voice. That as they prayed in this big, booming, voice of God kind of voice, everyone would turn to see them. And it may have been their language, flowery language. Everybody knows, right, that God understands King James English better than common English, right? Um, even in the first century when there wasn't King James English, the same kind of thing. Everybody knows that God's kind of like your eighth grade English teacher, right? The bigger the words and the more words that you use, the better your grade is going to be on your paper. I'm being, I'm, I'm being facetious. People prayed to draw attention to themselves. The third illustration that, that Jesus gives is when people fast. Fasting is not so much a part of our culture as, as a Western church. Now, fasting is not something that was commanded in the New Testament, but fasting was very common for the Jewish people. Um, they, would, they would fast to show contrition, to show their sorrow in God's presence. They would fast when there were special needs. One of the things that I read this week, was really interesting. It said that, that in the Jewish society, um, it was an agrarian society that was dependent upon crops growing. It was dependent upon the, the animals being fed. And so when there was a drought, when it stopped to rain, it was a real serious issue. And when, when there was a, a severe drought, it, would, it could paralyze the nation and the whole nation would come together and fast and pray and ask God to send rain. But when it, was, when it would begin to get just kind of dry, it would go a couple of weeks without any rain, there were in the Jewish culture some religious leaders. The, the, the religious, religious leaders would go to the people who were the more spiritual people and say, hey, we need you to fast and pray. We're not calling the whole nation to do this right now, just you guys. 
and, and pray that God would send rain. And they would. And what would happen is they would come out, you know, in the morning, not take a shower, not, not fix their hair. They would, they would have the, the, the kind of sunken face deal so that when they saw people, people would say, man, you look a mess. What's going on? And they'd say, oh, it's nothing. And they'd say, no, really, are you okay? And they'd say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just praying that God would send rain. And, and in this self-deprecating kind of manner, they would draw attention to themselves as the spiritual people in all of Israel. It was all about the attention that would come as a result of that. Jesus said, people who acted in a way to draw attention to themselves in their giving, in their prayer, in their fasting, were hypocrites. A hypocrite, the Greek word means a play actor, somebody who wears a mask to hide their real identity. It's a pretender, a poser, a person who says one thing and does another. Hypocrisy is something that we all understand and it, and it grates on us because a person supposes to be one thing, but in reality is something completely different. Jesus says this about hypocrisy. I hate hypocrisy. Uh, three different times in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't live like the hypocrites. Don't draw attention to yourself in that way. And if you go over to Matthew 23, there's this entire chapter, this, this long segment where Jesus just rails against the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Six different times in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you. That's not W-H-O-A, woe to you. It's W-O-E, woe to you. Um, uh, you're, you're in a bad, bad place. Um, Jesus said not to be like the hypocrites because they were fake. They were like, they were kind of like a, two-year-old hostess ho-ho, right? Looks good on the outside, but inside it's all dry and broken apart. There's no life, no substance there at all. Why does Jesus hate hypocrisy so much? Jesus cares more about the why than about the what that we do. Jesus cares more about our heart than he does about our actions. Jesus cares more about our motives than about the things that happen in our life on a daily basis. Are we going to make mistakes as followers of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Are, are there going to be times that we act in a way that's not consistent with what we believe? Yes, we are. But God cares more about our motives, our heart, than he does about those actions that conflict with what we believe. How do I know that? Because repentance is such a key part of what the New Testament teaches. In Luke 15, the prodigal son returns to his father and he says, Father, I'm not, I'm not fit to be your servant. Can I, can, I, can I just come in and work with the hired hands? Repentance consumed him. In Acts 2, um, Peter gets up and preaches and he, he says to the crowd, you've killed the Messiah, the one that Jesus, the one that God sent to save you. 
And the people say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. Change your heart. Change your approach to life. And see what God does. In Acts 3, uh, Peter and John say, repent and turn from your sins that they can be blotted out. Understand this. God cares about what we do, but he cares so much more about our hearts, about our motivation, about what's going on inside us. The Pharisees did their religious activities to be seen by others. But God wanted their hearts. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7, Jesus said to the crowd and to the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make phylacteries broad and their, their fringes long, and they love their place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis by others. Jesus said, the religious leaders that you look up to, that they're in place to, to communicate what God says. Listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. The phylacteries that it talks about were um, little scrolls of scripture that they would put in a little container and they would, they would bind them to their heads or to their arms. And you could see how spiritual someone was by how much scripture they had bound to their head, how big that phylactery was. Uh, the, uh, the, the fringes that were on the bottoms of the rows, uh, the bottom of their robes, described their spirituality. The longer the fringe, the more spiritual they were. Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus is talking to the, about the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the people that copied scripture for their job. From early in the morning until late at night, they would, they would copy by hand the Old Testament law. They knew the law. They knew the, the number of letters that were in the law. They knew the lines of, of Scripture as they wrote them out. They, they were consumed by God's word. The Pharisees were the religious leaders that, that memorized not just the law, but they memorized what the rabbis taught about the law. And they could have these deep intellectual discussions. They were the religious leaders. They were the people that everyone looked up to. But they cared about what they were on the outside, even while their hearts were a mess. Jesus said, they're receiving their reward for their religion right now. I want you to understand this. As we think about hypocrisy in our own lives... As we think about what we do to draw uh, the attention of people around us, poser heart rewards are temporary, are, are, are immediate. They, they happen right now. When, when we put on an act and people applaud us, when people um, look up to us, understand that, that, that the impact of that is immediate. But a pure heart and the rewards that come from a pure heart are eternal. If you go back to Matthew 6, listen to the words of Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, 
that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 16, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Poser heart rewards are immediate. They happen right now, but then they stop. But pure heart rewards are different. Verse 3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may be seen by others. Fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we act from pure hearts, God sees that. It doesn't matter if anyone sees it, if anyone else sees it. God sees it and will reward us in eternity. It's, uh, it's interesting to me, I, b- before this message, I don't know that I had ever put together those three illustrations with, with the verses that come right after it that are going to be the basis for next week's message. Matthew 6, 19, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. God sees what we do from a pure heart and will reward that. A hypocrite doesn't trust God to reward the good action. He doesn't trust that God's going to do it, so he feels like he's got to take it into his own hands and get that affirmation from others. Sometimes hypocrites, when we act with hypocrisy, it's because we value the reward of men more than God. Understand that the, the reward of men is temporary. It's not going to last, and it doesn't make that much difference. So how's, how's this fit with the whole 50 and 5 thing? Just gave you books to be able to write down, um, in a sense, kind of your good deeds, but not your good deeds. What, what we want you to write down in those books is God's story. It's what God is doing through you. And to put them in the book is to, to remind you of God's story of what he's doing, not what you've done. When our hearts are right, God can use us in incredible ways, and we need to celebrate what God does as a result of that, not so that we can take our book and and champion and say, oh, everybody, look at all my good stuff. Not that at all. It's to just recognize that God is the one who's doing the work. Why do Christians have the reputation that they do as hypocrites. Why, why is it that way? Uh, um, for some, I think it's because the people that they perceive as Christians are not really Christians at all. They don't have any kind of relationship with Jesus, and so they see this discrepancy, but the person that, that, that they're looking at doesn't really know Jesus at all. 
Sometimes it's because the people that they're looking at are, are young. They're immature in their faith and their walk with Jesus. And so they're still learning what that looks like. And they're going to make mistakes. And that, from the outside, is going to look like hypocrisy. But it's really a part of the growth process. And sometimes I think people look at, at people that they perceive as, as uh, Christian hypocrites. And the people that they're looking at are just trying to fit in with the Christian subculture and not look out of place. Understand this, authentic Christianity, authentic Christians are so winsome, so compelling that people want to be with them. Think about the people that you know in your life that walk with Jesus, really walk with Jesus. You want to be around them. You, you want your life to be intertwined with theirs. These people want those qualities, but they're not willing to give up everything in order to experience that life. They're not willing to die to self. They're not willing to serve Jesus completely. They're not willing to give Jesus complete control of their thoughts, their actions, their hearts. And so they fake it, but you can only fake it for so long. The thing I've wrestled with this week in this particular message of hypocrisy is what's it mean for us as a church? What's it look like for us as a church? I, I think part of it is to recognize that we're filled with imperfect people. And the question that comes up is, is North Point a safe place to be real? Is North Point a, a safe place where you can come and say, I don't have it all together. And I do mess up. And I am a hypocrite. I hope so. And, and I realize that we can't, um, we can't change the perception of everyone who looks at the people of North Point and says, that place is full of hypocrites, except to say, yeah, you're right, it is. And there's always room for one more, you know? <laughs> because anyone who looks at others and, and, and looks at their hypocrisy um, oftentimes uses that as an excuse to stay away because they recognize that they can't be true to themselves. It's easy for us to fake it, isn't it? It's easy for us to do things for the applause of men. We may not think in big terms, a big public kind of things, but it's easy for me to say, to talk to somebody and say, oh yeah, man, I'm so busy. I, I had this meeting that night, I had this meeting that night, my life group was this night, Man, I'm just so busy doing God's stuff. And the subtle, th the subtle thing that's going on there is people, I, I want people to say, oh man, he's a really good pastor. He's doing all this stuff. He's really close to God. And the conversations that we have are designed for the applause of men and not of God. It's easy for us this weekend to say, you know what? I helped pack 10,900 um, meals this weekend. It was really, really cool. I, I'm really kind of sore, though, because I, I helped unload the boxes off the, off the uh, pallet, and, and I helped move the tables to set it all up. And then when it was all done, I helped move the boxes back onto the truck. I'm kind of sore, but I helped do 10,900. Did I say it was 10,900 meals that we packed? Do you understand that it's really easy for us in our conversations, in our actions, to solicit the applause of men 
and not of God. We miss the mark when we do that. What do we do? How do we confront the hypocrisy in our lives? Understand this, and this is critical for us because of what Satan has whispered into our culture's ears. The proper way to confront hypocrisy is not to avoid the activity, but to purify the motive that lies behind the activity. Let me say that again. The proper way to confront hypocrisy is not to avoid the activity, but to purify the motive that lies behind the activity. Don't stop the what, the actions. Going to church, giving, praying, fasting. Don't stop the what. Just make sure you have the right why, the right heart. What do most people say? Oh, the reason I don't go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites, right? That doesn't make any sense. The church may be full of hypocrites, but if we're in desperate need of a Savior, if we're in desperate need of being in community with other believers, we need to be here. Don't stop the what? Don't check out and say, I'm not going to church because of hypocrisy. That doesn't make any sense because we need Jesus. We've got to get our hearts right. We've got to examine our motives. We've got to stop the religious show that we, that we put on in our lives and play to an audience of one. Um, when, when I was, back in an early part of my life when I was singing and traveling a lot, in the groups that I was a part of, we used that phrase often, play to an audience of one, because it was really easy as a performer, as a singer, uh, um, singing, singing songs about Jesus, to have, to have everything revolve around us, to, to solicit applause, to sing songs in such a way that, that people responded in an incredible way, and to base your value as a person on the response that you got from the crowd that evening. You know, if you got standing, oh, that was great. Oh, you were great. But if there were only 20 people in a, in a big auditorium, it was like, oh, that was, that was a rotten night. The conversations that we would have as a team constantly were play to an audience of one. An audience, who is that audience? That audience is God. In every aspect of our life, in whatever calling God has for you, Play to an audience of one. If you're writing, if you're writing um, programs for computers, your audience is not your boss. It's, it's God. If you're talking to your neighbors, your audience is not the whole rest of the neighborhood. It's God. Play to an audience of one. It's critical to give. It's critical to pray. It's critical to be a part of the body of Christ. It's not an option to check out of the church because hypocrisy exists within the church. When anybody does that, their attention, their focus is on people and not on God. Uh, let, me, let me just finish with, uh, with this thought. In the interview with Tim Keller that I mentioned, the questioner who was not a follower of Jesus kept hammering the idea that Christians discredit Christianity and that the teachings of Jesus can't be taken seriously because there are so many examples of hypocrisy. 
Keller agreed, but he countered with two points that I thought were really interesting. He said, you know, it's interesting that Christianity is a self-policing organism. Jesus, the central figure of Christianity, hated hypocrisy. Jesus castigated religious leaders for their duplicity. He confronted them and he didn't back down. He identified their behavior, their motives, and he condemned them. Jesus agreed with the skeptics. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The second thing that Keller said is the failure of people to live authentically doesn't discredit Jesus or what he taught. It only discredits the people who don't live authentically. What's the bottom line? Jesus wants your heart. We've talked all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through this series, that Jesus wants our heart. He doesn't just want our religious activity. He just doesn't want the show. He wants our heart. And if, if today you're struggling with the whole idea of, you know what, I have been such a hypocrite on so many levels, all you need to do is to come to him and let him know, repent, change, and, and start the process of getting your motives right. Let me pray. God, um, we need you. We are so uh, we are so vulnerable to the applause of men. We're so um, enticed by wanting the respect of other people and putting on a show to get it. God, even in our even in our relationship with you. It's so easy for our motives to get messed up and messy and to miss serving you completely. Lord, help us as a church, help us as individuals to come to you humbly, um, to see you only, and to forget about what others think to please you, God, as our audience of one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.